they play in their 56th year of franchise history. It has been a build toward 2017, and here they are on the brink of winning it all. Here's a ground ball right side, could do it. The Houston Astros are world champions for the first time in franchise history. All the drafting, all the scouting, the pieces that were added via trade or free agency for this stretch drive. These Astros are world champs. Unbelievable. It is very early on Friday morning, November 2nd, or 3rd, 2nd or 3rd, I'm not even sure, uh, but it is early in the morning, Paula and I, it is the 3rd, Paula and I are hanging out in the podcast room, she's playing with crayons, and uh, I am putting an intro on a podcast uh, Don and I were scheduled to talk on Wednesday, uh, but it didn't make much sense to record a podcast tonight at Game 7 of the World Series, because what would you say, right, that that would, that would, that would last? I mean, it just, it just didn't work out. So here I am, uh, Friday morning, put an intro on. I'll also do a book club later, and we'll do one last thing. Uh, but... The podcast today, this is what else we got. Brian Curtis from Ringer uh, joins us. Uh, Brian's a good friend of the show. And uh, we recorded about 50 minutes last night and touched on a lot of different things. We talked a little bit of OU Texas. He was at the game this year. Of course, being the uh, the Texas guy that he is. Uh, and also, uh, Mike Shope from WGR 550 is on. I recorded this interview last week. Uh, so before the Bills uh, lost to the Jets last night, which was, man, such a tough loss for them. Uh, it sucks having to play on the road on Thursday night. And, I mean, the way the league is, obviously, the Jets are not nearly as bad as probably Bills fans hoped, having them on the schedule uh, twice. Uh, and that was just, that was a game I felt like they really wanted. Their next game is a game I'll be at. The, the Saints are here in Buffalo, so my brother Greg and I will be at the game. And uh, look, at it's I'm not going to be cocky. The Bills could win that game for sure, but the Saints could win that game too. And if they do, 5-2 uh, and two is quickly 5-4 and four for the Bills. And then they have the Chiefs, the Patriots, and the Chargers are their next three. So that was one I felt like they really needed, and they just didn't, they just didn't play well. Uh, just didn't. From the start, they just got beat up on the line of scrimmage on both sides. And a tough loss, but now they get the mini-bye, and they'll wait for Drew Brees and the Saints, who will try to avoid a similar disaster on Sunday at home against Tampa Bay, because it's the same thing for the Saints. If they lose this week, 5-2 and two is 5-3, and three, and you have a really difficult road game against the rested Bills team, uh, who should be fired up at home. There, They've been very good, and Calvin Benjamin. Uh, will be making his debut, which should be a boost. So, disappointing loss for the Bills. Big game for the Saints this Sunday. 
Uh, so I wanted to mention that. Also, the World Series was awesome. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I wish the games weren't so late. I don't know why 7 o'clock is okay all season. But then when it's playoffs, it has to be 8 o'clock. And then for whatever reason, mid-series, they switched all the games to 8.20. But there were some classics. Game 2, Game 5 were just unbelievable baseball games. Tons of home runs, good pitching at times, obviously. Bad bullpens made for unpredictable unpredictable moments. Man, the ball thing was crazy because... I guess those balls were so tight. Darvish and a few other pitchers complained they couldn't throw sliders. Darvish maybe had the worst World Series like I've ever seen an individual have. Uh, A couple people mentioned some guys on Twitter, Byung-Yung Kim in 2001, but they won the series, right? Mitch Williams in 93 was bad, so that cost his team, obviously, Toronto won that one. And yeah, Mitch Williams wasn't great, but man... He didn't even get six outs in either of his two starts and just got beat up, and it cost the Dodgers big in Game 7. I'm sure the Dodgers will spend all summer saying, well, what if we would have just started Kershaw? But that's sports. All right, so this is what we're going to do first. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Brian Curtis. Like I said, we talked OU Texas for just a couple minutes, and then we got into a bunch of different things. The World Series, we talked about Buck and Schmoltz. We talked about... Uh, Tony Romo's first year in the booth. We talked about Barstool and ESPN and their relationship and what happened there. Uh, So we covered a bunch of ground. So we're going to do that in one second. Uh, After we do that, uh, I'll come back. I'll do a quick book club update. Uh, After I update the book club, we'll play the interview I recorded last week with Mike Shope. Uh, It's about 30 minutes or so. And like I said, it was last week, so before the Bills trade and before the Bills lost. So we didn't cover those two things. Uh, And then after that, I will close the show out with one last thing. So we're going to take a break now, and we'll be right back with Brian Curtis. All right, our next guest is from Texas and is a graduate of Texas. He is an editor and writer for Ringer.com and a host of a new podcast with David Shoemaker called The Press Box. A warm welcome to The Ringer's Brian Curtis. What's up, Brian? How you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing? Really good. Really good. Still, uh, still basking in the glory of another dominating victory at the Red River Shootout. <laughs> I was there. Tell me about I, uh, tell me about it. What's what's it like at that game? So first of all, as far as I can tell, having been going since my freshman year, nineteen ninety six, there are only two weather options: <laughs> boiling hot, You're right, or raining. Like that's it. There's never been like, ah, oh, this is a crisp fall day. It's beautiful out here. It's just one of the two. And this was boiling hot. It looked boiling hot. I can't hot. remember. It was. It was definitely in the 90s. I can't remember exactly what temperature we hit, but we're in the upper deck, not in the shade, and man, it was freaking hot. It was, I will I will remember this as the hot game, and I've had a few of those, but I'll remember this one definitely as a hot game. But sold out, as always, crowd fired up. The Texas crowd was 
better. They were the better the crowd. The crowd is always fired up. No, they're te- always a better crowd. Texas Dude, was the better, the better crowd. crowd. Never, I get. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like Texas, I think, had the kind of like nothing to lose year. You right. Know? Yeah. So they can be. So Texas, so you normally, normally OU is like they're bigger numbers. They're always there early. They're in their seat. Texas kind of shows up. But this year there was Texas climbed back into the game. Yep. They got really excited. They did. Yeah. And it was, and to me, it was a classic Texas OU. You know, it was like OU was the better team. They were clearly going to, you know, should have won the game and all that stuff. But it was like, Texas, you know, weird things happen. You have a freshman quarterback in there kind of playing lights out for half the game and getting injured and then coming back in. Yeah. And it was just, it was very, very classic Texas OU. Yeah, it sure was. I thought the Texas crowd was really good. They made a note on the broadcast at some point that, I want to say it was Baker, maybe it was someone else was trying to get the OU crowd to kind of match it, but they definitely brought the intensity of the Texas crowd, I thought. You know, it's such a pretty picture on TV, obviously, because you can see the split. Uh, yes. Is it as harmonious as that at the game? Like, is it really, <laughs> people just kind of stay on their side and that's that, or is it? Yes. I mean, especially when I'm stub hubbing it, you know, or uh, I think at the two geek this time, it's like, you really don't want to be on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've had a few friends that have done it. I've never I've never gone across the line. I had a few friends that did it and you know, and everybody was everybody was, I think people are pretty cool. But it really feels like that's their side, this is our side. You know, you want to be on the other side of the line. Well, I'm going on uh, next Sunday I'm going to the Saints and Bills game. The Saints are here. And uh Nice. You know, they I've been every time they've been here since I started. So I they were here in 89. I was at that game. They were here. The next time they were here was a while. It wasn't until opening day of 2001, the game before 9-11. Then they were here in 2009, also in September-ish, and now they're here. And my, like, my brother and I are going, and when we were thinking about tickets i told them i can't sit in the upper deck and i can't sit in the end zones i'm like so we have to find something you know we have to spend 125 bucks at least because we have to sit you know in good seats or i'm you know i'm not gonna argue with people who pay 40 bucks for seats and have been there since eight o'clock in the morning (laughs) right right because it's not a very it's not a welcoming stadium which is embarrassing for me because I live here and I wish it would be, but it's not. When I when I was a senior in high school, I was in part, like we have one of the classes you have to take as a senior is participation in government, and we had to like go observe a court. And so my mom was working near the stadium at the time, so she dropped me off, and everyone that was pretty much there were people who picked up tickets at a Bills and Steelers game, and I <laughs> and I saw the judge banish a Canadian. For for like eight years or something for the stadium because this is how it went. He's like so and so is here for petty assault. Uh, the officer says you got out of your car, crossed the street, and punched someone in the face. Got back in your car, and the guy, you know, what what happened? And the guy goes, well, what happened was we were stuck in traffic, and I saw two guys in Steelers clothes, and I was really upset that they had won. So I got out of the car, walked across the street, and punched one guy in the face. <laughs> And the, and the judge is like, the judge is like, well, did he say anything? No. Did he do anything? No. Well, why'd you do it? Because I was mad about the game. And the judge was just like blown away. 
Like, I think by the honesty yeah. and by the absurdity, like a combination. And he's just like, you know, do you have the guys like, oh, I've been a season ticket holder for this many years. His defense was he's been coming so long and not gotten in trouble. He was allowed, he should be allowed the one punch in the face mulligan. And the guys, the judge is like, look into selling your tickets because you're banned from the stadium for eight years or something like that. Oh, my God. And he banged the thing and the and they guy was, what, 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 what? And they were dragging him out. So, I love how the defense was. I've never been arrested in a football game before, as if that was like an accomplishment. Yeah, that was. That was his. I've been coming for this many years. I've never even been drunk in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, it's a one-time thing. So that sounds like an Eagles fan. Defense. Right. Exactly. I think maybe it would have worked there, but this judge wasn't having it. I don't know, but. We have this awful reputation, and it's deserved. You know, the people in the bill, the Bills Mafia. But all that happens in private lots. There's not a lot the team can do about it. You know, because there's a lot of private lots around the stadium, and that's where people people often will park. The, I bet at least 60% of the parking for the stadium is in private lots. So, mm, Yeah. If people want to park in a private lot and light a table on fire and go through it, I mean, what what, what could the Bills do about that? I don't think anything. It's really funny because we're talking about college crowds. I mean, the vibe is so different for NFL crowds. And even the Cowboys, which is the, you know, a fan base that's pretty, pretty, I would say just pretty lame and pretty quiet and definitely not sinister in any way. You know, the people there, it's not, I just look at people and the way they act and the way they're saying stuff in the stadium. It's like, man, this this is not a welcoming environment. The NFL is just not a happy environment at the stadium. You know, not I've, at all. As a Saints fan, I've been to Detroit, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and New Orleans. New Orleans, obviously, I was in the majority. Uh, sure. D- Detroit was probably the best, and Pittsburgh was fine as well. I had really good seats in Pittsburgh. Um, very expensive, I'm sure. The The guy who runs the stadium in New Orleans, somehow I had a random connection to him and he got me the tickets and uh that was they were really nice it was a really fun game willie parker had like 200 yards rushing and the steelers won by six or something that was a really easy one cleveland's been brutal both times i've been there (laughs) in 06 so in cleveland i don't know if you've ever been to their stadium but it's kind of like the stadium is kind of below the lake ah okay like the lake could kind of f- flow into the stadium, <laughs> so you have to kind of walk down to it. Usually, you're parking above the stadium, so we were parked wherever, and our plan was just, all right, let's just keep walking down. You know, it's the first time I was there, so we get to this spot. It's a pretty narrow dirt lot that's a big hill down, and. The cars are parked on both sides, and there's a small path in between, and it's just, you know, people throwing the football, grilling. It's packed with Browns fans, and we're kind of like, we have to go down this hill, and it's opening day of 2006 season. It was Peyton and Breeze's first game, and uh, I looked at I looked at my wife, and I'm like, well, we got to walk down, so just keep your head down and keep walking. So we're walking. <laughs> we're getting booed. We're hearing some comments. And this guy comes running up to us, and he stops me, and he's like, I know you. And I'm like, no, I don't think we know each other. He's like, I know I know you, man. 
And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm not from here. He's like, no, it's not that. He's like, I seen you on the news a few weeks ago. You were on your roof waving for the helicopter. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Katrina jokes. It was the year after. Oh, Katrina. my God. Wow. I, I was like, oh. Wow. I'm like, well, that's harsh. I'm like, that wasn't me, but nice to meet you. So they're, they're rough what there. Oh. Yeah. It was, uh, well, Katrina I guess. Katrina smack. That yeah. Is, that's pretty bad. Yeah, he was. He, he That was one of those where the, the, the surrounding people were groaned. He didn't get a lot of support. He was kind of on his own for that. <laughs> it's even too much for the dog, dog pound. Yeah. Amazing. What did you think of Smoltz and Buck? You into that group? I'm very into that group. I love it. First of all, I thought I thought Joe was great. He's awesome. Um, I just, I still, it's really funny. I feel like, you know, you, know, I, you and I know he's been on this pod, and mm-hmm. you and I have talked about him before. I feel people have turned around on him yep, in a good way. There. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like John Cena. Yeah. Kind of like John Cena. It was Cena sucks for a long time, but he's 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 winning people over. You know, the, 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 they still say Cena sucks for the fun of it, but he's kind of got the crowd's respect and a lot more people like yeah. him than he used to. Yeah. I feel, yeah, and I feel some people like, they they for, they've forgotten why they were supposed to hate Joe Buck. They're just kind of yeah, they're kind of saying it, but they've forgotten the reason. That's you know, which is probably a good sign for him. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny. I got a note from somebody, and they're like, "Dude, you normalize this guy," you know, because I wrote about him last year. And I'm like, I, I just think, you know, what's what's funny when he was missing from the Eggman number one NFL telecast mm-hmm. the last couple weeks. He was doing this, you're like, it was a lot worse. You know, it's so much worse. And you're just like, this dude is really good at what he does. And I think in baseball, he's in a way he's at his most comfortable, you know? Yeah. I thought Smoltz, I thought Smoltz was good. I, I, I heard a few people being like, Smoltz is the greatest and all that stuff. And I was like, I think he's still working into that role. I thought he did a really nice job, but I thought Joe was just great. I thought, I thought, the, I thought the World Series coverage was really, really good. Yeah, the, the pregame show is fun. Somehow A-Rod is awesome at it, which I would have never... In a million years, predicted he'd be watchable. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Uh, he's been really good. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good pregame, and then Buck is a top guy, and Smoltz is good enough and getting better. I guess would probably be how I'd describe him. Uh, yeah, and their chemistry good. I mean, it's it's a weird deal, right? Because it's different than the NFL, where these guys are together all year. You know, how many games do they do? You know, they don't do a ton, right? Right, yeah. Kinda, Very few. The All-Star game, and the, maybe one or two regular yeah. season games, if that. And then playoffs. Yeah. And it's also, it's different for the audience, right? Because, like, NFL, basically everybody's watching all year. I was feeling with baseball, a lot of people just kind of show up for the playoffs and sometimes even just for the World Series. You know, so they're not used to the crew. They're not used to the Fox. They're just, like, they're just kind of, they've been watching, maybe maybe they've been watching their, like, regional cable channel all year, you know, watching their local team. Right. And all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, this is different. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought it was really good. You know, being from Buffalo, there's a lot of Yankees fans here. And I'm still so frustrated by how many people in my timeline were this, oh, Buck hates the Yankees thing. Duh. You know, and I was saying to one guy, why? Why does he hate the Yankees? Why wouldn't Buck want Yankees-Dodgers? I mean, if he if he's going that way, if he's going to pick a team, why yeah. why is he picking Houston? For what reason? Yeah. 
Why wouldn't he want more people watching him? And then it quickly than... switches to, whoa, whoa, okay, Buck's fine, but Smoltz hates them because Smoltz lost two World Series <laughs> to them. <laughs> I just love it. You know, and Buck's always said this, that like baseball's different because people are watching kind of a homer announcer all, all year. year. Yep. And then they switch. And in football, you're watching national guys all year. So it's not really much of a switch. But I think that's right. Like, I think you're just kind of watching your guys and you get used to them. And maybe you're listening. You know, baseball's still kind of a big radio sport, too. So maybe you're listening to radio guys. And all of a sudden, you're like, who are these guys? That's just crazy. And it doesn't get. And it doesn't get more Homer than Susan and Sterling, right? I mean, that's a very. (laughs) That's a very. uh, Yeah, you can. You can. Even just somebody doing it straight, you can see how so how different that is, you know. And uh, that's funny. That just never ceases to amuse me. And I just love that every basically every top national guy, analyst, and play-by-play guy has this like list of teams they quote unquote hate. Right. Well, and I, weirdly, it's like to the teams in the league. I sent this to Buck during the Super Bowl when it was a when it was a shitty game. Still last year, I was bored. I saw a search. I searched his name on Twitter, and I found. Two tweets back-to-back on top of each other. Can't stand Joe Buck. He wants the Patriots to come back and win so bad. Next tweet. I can't stand Joe Buck. Loves the Falcons so much. (laughs) Back-to-back in the search. Same game. Isn't it great? Yeah. I sent that that text off to him. Did you hear him on Stern, his most recent appearance on Stern by any chance? I don't think I did, no. He said something I was really surprised he admitted, and I'm surprised I didn't hear much afterwards. He admitted he drinks a beer before every game. Yeah, you know, he told me that. He told me that last summer. Yeah, he said I don't, he, he told me gets a beer and he, he sips on it. Yeah, I think he, I think he started, the, it's funny, because he did it the 15 World Series when he would have been with Verducci and Reynolds, and Verducci was like, what the hell, you know? Cause yeah. Because he was like... <laughs> right before the first inning, but like the funny thing, I'm sure you said this on Stern too, but like he did it with Aikman one week, and Aikman just was like, "Hey, where's mine?" You know, and then like Aikman ordered one. <laughs> yeah, he said it. <laughs> he's like, wait, you're not drinking alone, are you? <laughs> he said it just reminds him that he's there to have fun and kind of just calms him down. He's like, I just kind of sip on it, and I thought that was cool that he. And by the way, yeah, go ahead. Did he admit it? Yeah, yeah. Would, by the way, what a machine. What level of comfort are you when you can just drink a beer before during a nationally televised game, especially oh World God. Series game? Yeah, you're you're comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do that before this podcast, right? Plus, you know, on the World Series. I mean, I'd be like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to be off my game. But I think Joe's just kind of a machine at this point. Have you enjoyed Romo? Yeah. First of all, by the way, it's so funny because like. If I were ever worried about my announcers being biased, I'm not sure I would. I could ever be worried with the NFL since, like, everybody's a Cowboys announcer. <laughs> no, not like every game I watch right, is the next Cowboy. Romo, yeah. How can Where's I avoid Quincy Carter? Where's Quincy Network, Carter? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally everybody. Um, you know, he's been great. I think the biggest thing has just been his how excited he is to do the game. Yeah, you can tell he's having fun. Hard as people were talking about the ringer today a little bit. Like, it's like it's yeah, it's just like you realize like how kind of downbeat some of these other guys are. And I don't think it's that they're bored or they're pissed off or anything, but like Romo just still feels like he's, he feels like he did early in his career as a Cowboys quarterback. And this kind of leached out of him after a while as a player. 
because I think he just got so beaten down by the media and losing and all that stuff. But like, he just looked like he was having he was having the time of his life, and that's what he as a quarterback, and that's what he feels like as a broadcaster. Like he's just so excited to be doing this, you know. And it's and crazy it's still how few like, games he, he's done. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember everybody was saying, like, oh, this is going to be a learning experience. And You're right. Be good. Now it's like, and to me, I think the, like, the funniest thing to me is nobody ever called, you know, people are like, Tony Romo may be the best color analyst ever, of which I think we should put on the brakes after, right. like, eight weeks or whatever right. we're at now. But, like, um, nobody ever said that about Tony Romo, the quarterback. You know? Nobody ever said, even Tony Romo is the best quarterback in the NFL probably in his career, right? And he's always behind Manning, Manning and Brady and those guys. And, you know, for him, for people to even say that about him, even a little bit prematurely, I mean, I think in his mind that's got to be pretty amazing. Being like, wow, I'm the best, you know? Like, I, I got there. Yeah, I just hope he guy, keeps... Again, like, if, you, if, if Peyton Manning became an announcer and people say he's the best announcer, I think Peyton would kind of shrug. Like, yeah, I was the best quarterback, now I'm the best announcer. Great, you know? But Romo is not a guy who ever was called that as quarterback. So I think that's pretty cool. I just hope he stays aggressive. Like if he has a couple weeks where he's calling out plays and it doesn't work out, you know, something like that. I hope he do- it doesn't scare him off. You know, like I hope they don't. So they've given him a really good amount of rope, I feel like, to just go out and do it, to do his thing. I think that they probably, you know, from what I read from Deitch, yeah. Deitch had a column with his producer. And it seemed like they kind of just thought that that would be the best play, not to put too much in his head. Not to put too much on his plate, kind of let him do his thing, and I hope they kind of look at that as a reason for the success and kind of keep it that way. So that's the one thing I think could maybe slow him down a little bit, you know, as if they try and back him off, yeah, even a tad, you know, you know, and that's and I think it's funny because I think now that he's gotten such overwhelming praise, I mean, I basically haven't read a single negative comment about him. Uh, maybe one on Twitter, one or two on Twitter here and there, but um, they, that's him now, you know. And there's no reason to try to overprogram him. Totally, you got something that's a hit. Why would, why would you mess with it? Also, I think it's a good lesson of when you get these guys out of the booth, you don't want to, you shouldn't. Either, but they probably try to program them a little too much, and the, probably the lesson is you shouldn't, you know, and just let them kind of be themselves. And then if they need a little course correction here and there, but it's been pretty amazing. I do feel bad for Sims a little bit because he was, I thought, very good. And then, it, to me, the cutoff was the the uh, 49ers and Ravens Super Bowl. He had Ooh. a day of disaster. I mean, as bad as I can remember him ever being or anyone being on that game. And it seems like he almost just was never the same from that day on. Um. Mm. Maybe that's the day where he got the label of let's pick on this guy all the time on Twitter. And, yeah, which is the Buck thing. Right. And it takes you a while to climb out of it. Yeah, and I don't think he ever got a chance like Buck did to get the uh, come around, you know, after weathering it for however long people with such but he was criticisms. Still, it's funny because I, I wasn't one of the people. First of all, I'm an NFC guy, so I just wouldn't see him all that much. Here right. Same. Here. Yep. Thursdays, I think, brought it but, to light a lot, too. Thursdays, yeah, yeah, he was doing a lot of games that year. Yep. But like the the um, Broncos Pats game and then the Super Bowl, um, Bron- that he did that Super Bowl that year too, right? Uh, Broncos uh, Panthers, and he was really bad both those games. He's just off, mm-hmm. and 
it's funny because I just couldn't explain what it was because you're right. Like people forget when he first came into the booth, he had a really good run. Yep. He was, he was getting a lot of the Tony Romo praise, maybe not as quite as crazy over the top as Romo, but he was, he was considered to be like a great announcer. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. We got this guy. He's got fresh insights and he's sharp and everything. And I just felt something was, I just felt something I don't know what happened. And I still don't know what happened, but just to me, he felt like, it felt like he was just way off because he was like, you know, that was a, those of those games where Peyton Manning basically couldn't throw the ball 15 yards. Right. And I kept yep. waiting for him to just explain to it, just just tell the audience, like, here's what Peyton Manning can do. And Peyton Manning's arms clearly screwed up. Here's what he can do. Here's what he can't do. Here's what to look for. Here's what you know. Here's some little details to notice about the way he's throwing the ball. And he just never said anything ever, like at all. And it was just it was just weird. Those guys, Nancy Sims called the Saints Super Bowl, and they were great. I mean, the pick six that Porter, uh, Porter had yeah. at Manning, he, he broke it down perfectly. And believe me, it's a five-minute stretch of telecast I've seen a hundred times. And he's awesome <laughs> in it. You know, he was great, uh, and it just felt like, like I said, to me the turning point was that that Ravens and 49ers Super Bowl where he just he just had a bad day, and to me it's just like he never recovered. Uh, we're kind of bouncing around, which is cool. So I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but what did you think if you've had a chance to look at ESPN's new social media policy, and how do you think that's going to go? My biggest thing, first of all, I think a lot of the some of the things have been continued over from other social media policies. You mm-hmm. know, I'd have to look. It wasn't a total redrafting of it. I mean, it, it, I think it looked no. similar to the existing one with maybe some clarifications. And the whole thing, yeah. And again, I'm I'm happy to be wrong, but I think some of the things they're talking about, people they're not wanting to break news on Twitter, has been longstanding things. You know that some guys essentially had kind of unwritten exceptions to here's my biggest thing about social media policies i just think they're they're just almost unenforceable because the language of twitter is so difficult to police you know mm-hmm. it just be like you know stuff that you can say okay don't get political on twitter but there's so many twitter is in such a level of high irony and jokes and sick burns and everything else that it's really hard to tell when like find a line where somebody is joking and somebody is not joking. Right. It's tough to find contact sometimes is, too. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, yeah, it's just like very, I mean, you can definitely point to some tweets and be like, okay, that's a bad tweet or that shouldn't be, that shouldn't have been tweeted. But I'd say almost everything else is in the gray area. And even like New York times reporters, you know, who are obviously have a much different standard than most of us journalists. Cause they've just got a you know, different job and stuff. Like I read a lot of their tweets and I'm just like, I don't know if this is would this is within the times of policy or not. I just don't. I I literally don't know the answer. Don't you think ESPN's so, biggest problem is just a lack of consistency or a lack of perceived consistency? Like, isn't it just that I, they can't find whatever it is that would at least make everyone say, "All right, they're treating everyone the same." I yes, but I think. I do agree with that, and I do think they've, uh, you know, policed people completely differently. But I think the hard part of that is not them necessarily being inconsistent. That that's just an impossible idea. That you're just never going to find right. a Twitter stand that you can say like, okay, it's a little bit like, you know, I mean, just coming up with standards about anything is really hard. But like Twitter is like just Twitter is human speech, right? 
mean, how do you, you and I, again, we could, we could point at like five things and be like, okay, this is clearly over the line. But then we could point at, you know, 25 things and be like, what is, I don't know. Is this wrong? Is this right? Is this funny? Is this okay? I just don't, I don't actually know what the, you know, I don't know where you draw the line. I think the hard thing is just drawing a line at all. Well, I think whether it's Twitter or whatever else, I think just with their discipline in general, it's so hard to follow and it can be frustrating and you could very easily have people voice their frustrations because of it. You know where they have, where it's like, well, why didn't they stand behind Jamal Hill? It's like, okay, that's a fair point. But then someone can say, well, why didn't they stand behind Kurt Schilling? Or why didn't they stand behind the, I can't think of the guy's name that calls tennis that they fired for using the word yep. gor- gorilla, but with a U, uh, you know, right. like war- gorilla warfare. Up, yeah. Right. Uh, because of Serena Williams. Um, you know, and, and like, I don't know. I just think that they, if they could find a way and to look at, I'm not an executive at ESPN. I don't make the money they do, so I would expect them to come up with the, with the, with the way to do this. It's above my pay grade, but I, I just think if they could find a way to be more consistent, they could save themselves a lot of hassle. But maybe that's, uh, maybe that's asking them to do something that's not even possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't understand. I don't know where you would start. You know, like I said, I understand some things that are just. I understand there's some lines, some places you don't want to cross, but I think there's just almost everything else is going to fall into this weird place and we're just never going to be able to untangle it. And it's just going to ultimately come down to, do you want to suspend this person or not? (laughs) Didn't you think the first tweet that she didn't get suspended for Jamal was a lot closer to being over the line. If it is than the second part. Yes. And I think, did you, I don't know if you saw the TMZ interview that she did. I did. Yeah. I think she, she, she actually said that. And that was my reporting. I actually heard the same thing. I think, she thought she was going to get suspended for the first tweet and that she in fact maybe deserved to be suspended, which is not to mean that she's just backing off the idea, but she thought like, okay, I went over the line, but then they didn't suspend her. So the second tweet really became kind of a makeup call, you know, Uh but then you looked at the second tweet and you were like, well, there wasn't really anything wrong with it. I think this is, she was just talking about the idea of a boycott, you know, like it wasn't like, it right. Didn't really seem she didn't even really say over it the line. necessarily. Like, no. Yeah, she was no. just kind of like saying, she, uh, look, at, I, I kind of am of the mind that if you want to go on Twitter and say you think Donald Trump is a white supremacist, whatever, right? But I do understand that she does work for someone who would maybe say you can't do that if you want to work here, and I'm okay with that too. Um, but you just send a really t- almost an impossible – like. If you're her, how do you even know what to do when what I think if we've got 99 people in the room or 100, I think 99 would say that the first tweet was why she got suspended. Like if they didn't, if nobody knew, he said, here are these two tweets. She got suspended for one. Which one she gets suspended for? I mean, I think 99 of 100 would say it was tweet A and it was actually tweet B. So if you're the talent, again, you're in this like (laughs) world of like, well, what? You've You've just been told. Right. You've just been told you can't tweet about boycotts, even just as an idea. You know, not like advocating for it, but just like talking about it. But you, 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 and you can't be tweeted for calling the president a white supremacist. Yeah, I mean that's. And again, that oh, then and then that opens up ESPN to the people screaming about them having a liberal bias, because in the end, you you suspended her 
not for anything she did or said to the president, but you suspended her to protect your partner. Like that's right. the way it ends up and coming the, off, right? And that's the hardest part about all this because I don't. I, so few people who those of us who write about the suspensions and all stuff actually feel people should ever be suspended. <laughs> I'm just like, what we're all doing is trying to parse the social media policy, right? You know, we're not actually offended ourselves, right? I'm not like, like I'm not going to watch this person or whatever. We're just like, we're just like, we're all just sort of judging and watching what ESPN does. And, you know, putting him the ringer when, as you say, it's inconsistent or we don't understand the reasoning. It's just the whole thing is a mess to me. I don't, I don't. And you know what? Here's the other thing, dude. Media Twitter has just changed so much over the last five to 10 years. It's a total, it just feels like it's a totally different world than it was, you know, when, when it's, when Twitter came, you know, really came into being. I mean, it's just people tweet very, very differently now than they used to. And it's not just a Trump thing. I think it started before Trump. Uh-huh. Um, they just tweet about politics a lot more. They tweet about stuff a lot more. They're a lot, you know, the jokes are a little rougher and rawer on there. And I just think like, you also kind of have to think about like, okay, media Twitter is totally different. So what is our grading system now? Uh, it's just tough one. What did you, and now another ESPN thing, obviously you and, and our friend David Shoemaker talked about it on your new podcast, which I'll ask you about in a minute, but with the whole bar stool relationship. Now I don't get bar stool. You know, I don't understand what's really good about it. Um, like it's, it's. I don't think it's for me. You know, now I have two younger brothers. One's six years younger. One's eleven years younger. They love it. You know, they think it yep. is the <laughs> best thing. You know, and I don't get it at all. So it's. So I, I feel comfortable saying that I'm not who they want anyway. But again, with ESPN. There was no new information, it seems like. I mean, I read the the, the 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 sports business journal piece. You know, Deitch did some reporting. You guys have talked about it. It's like, what, what? What? Why didn't you just not have it then? Exactly. I mean, that's the question, right? Because you had to know if you knew anything about Barcelona, you already knew all this stuff. And it seems like they admitted they did. Oh, of course they did. Right, like if you I read think, the the, made... the Hourland piece or whatever, and you try to put a timeline mm-hmm. together, it seems like th- it's not like Sam Ponder unearthed some unbelievable, you know. No, no they knew all that. I, th- I think there's a couple key point, couple key timeline things that happened. Sure. One was that Harvey Weinstein happened. Okay. Right. Yep. Now we're not not talking about anything about sexual assault or harassment or anything. We're just talking about like. You create, there is this air in the media that any form of misogyny will be dealt with, right? Sure. Not, you just can't overlook it. So that happened. Two, Jamel Hill happened. And we know that coming off Jamel Hill, the big thing was, does this place have our back, right? That was the question. Right. You know, if we, if we say if the president, you know, this in Jamel's case is obviously extreme because the president's like tweeting about her and stuff, but like, does this, does this place have our back? So, you know, when that stuff, when Sam Ponder says, it, so do, they, do they have Sam Ponder's back or do they have these new guys? I think that was all. I think the bigger thing that they, the mistake they made, and by the way, the mistake I made when I reported on the, the, the fact that there was a show was I just thought you could separate those two guys, Big Cat and PFT, from the larger enterprise. I thought they were a distinct enough entity of their own now. It has felt that, that way. They weren't I agree with that. Yeah. I think that's what the, the general public thought, and I, clearly I think that's what ESPN thought. And then 
Ponder comes in with those tweets the day before the show airs and is like, no, 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 no. I'm holding them accountable for things that happen on Barstool. Right, right which that's I don't think that's mistake. fair. I mean, she can do that. That's fine. But I just, I don't think that's fair. But Well, and I think ESPN at some point was realized, like, wait a second. Portnoy is going to say, first of all, Portnoy had like three things happen in the time between when the deal was reported and when the show aired, you know, like there was mm-hmm. that thing with that contract that woman had signed and he made some Harvey Weinstein comments. I mean, and I think ESPN is like, wait a second, people, every time he, that dude says something, we're going to have to answer for these other two guys. By the way, I think the whole thing would have been a lot cleaner if you would just, what if ESPN, I don't even know if this were possible, but let's just, as a, as a thought experiment, what if they hired Big Cat and PFT outright? They say, okay, we've got your podcast. We, you two are on our air doing a TV show. You're also doing a podcast for us. You're, if you want to write stuff for the site, whatever. I don't know how that would work. But if you are our full-time employees, you do not work for Barstool anymore. Would that have solved the problem? Maybe. It's like, a maybe. maybe. It's a maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. A lot better I chance, know. I think, I mean, I than, than the other. Yeah, and then you could have had it, and then if somebody like Ponder were upset, you could say, like, look, we can sit down and talk and, you know, and maybe maybe hash something out. I don't know if that would have worked or not. I don't right. Know these guys are, it it turns into a, like, these guys are with us now. And I think another thing about that show is, like, they weren't even producing it, right? I mean, it was an outside, they were almost, it was an outside company was yep. making this show. So I think for people within ESPN, they, they, I understand the attitude of, like, these people don't even work here. Why are we doing this? You know? Yeah. But talk about the most awkward possible result is we hire them for one show. One show. Ugh. Ben can't pull it. What a botch. And so, what a so botch. We have, to, we have to eat the part about hiring them and then eat the part about firing them. And it also opens you, know, you up to this idea that, oh, well, it only did 88,000 people. Would you have done the same thing if it was 350? And it's easy to say, yes, you would have done the same thing. But you open yourself up to that then. You know, if you don't air exactly. any, you, you're not in that position. Now, even if, like, James Andrew Miller was saying, wherever I heard him talking about it, oh, absolutely, the numbers didn't matter. They could have done a million people who would have made the same decision. Well, but that's speculation because it only did 88,000. So now you've opened up your, you've opened up the possibility of people saying they made a business decision, they wanted to see one show, and they just decided 88,000 people wasn't worth the headache. But you know they would have taking the headache for 500,000 people or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think that's when you, when you don't understand why you would hire them and then fire them, you just open all those questions up. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. It's just, do you, was, en- do you enjoy, was, was, do you nope. enjoy part of the take or bar stool? Like, is, do you get I, it? Am I just a curmudgeon you know, or I, uh, I'm, I've watched, I've, you know, had listened to a little bit of those guys and I find them like, you know, funny enough, you know, the two dudes and that's fine. Like I've, I've enjoyed a little bit of what they do, but I'm not a fan and I'm not, and I don't read the, barely read the, the big side at all. Only basically when people bring stuff to my attention. So right. no. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really read the blog. I probably have seen some, but I've never like typed in barstool.com on my browser or something. Uh, the thing I don't like about the podcast is like that. This is a good example. I've debated with my brothers because they totally disagree with me, but they had Bob Stoops on, and like he had just it was one of his first interviews after he left OU, you know. Yes. And big get, awesome, amazing opportunity. They spent like half the time on his visor. Like they thought it was so funny, and it just it went on and on. Well, who do you think's going to be the best visor coach now? 
Um, you wore a visor even in the rain? Oh, man. You know, like, it just, yeah. to me, it just never ended about the visor. It's like, why is that funny? And I don't just, understand. Right. You and don't want to ask him, like, like, who was the best running back while you were there? Or tell me about losing the Boise State game or, you know, I don't know, a million things I could think of. I would love the opportunity yeah. to talk to Stoops. And they spend that time about the visor. I just don't get it. Yeah, it, it's almost the most awkward when there's a really doozy interview like that, right? Where that, you know, you would love to hear that guy's answers to a lot of questions, you know, specifically about his retirement and then also just generally because he's, you know, one of the dominant coaches of his era. Yeah, that that is where, I mean, it sort of works better when it's like, let's have Adam Schefter on and kind of make fun of him because we're, you know, kind of a parody of Adam Schefter, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get the PFT commenter at all. You know, I just don't understand what the joke is, really. And I don't know when he's joking and when he's not. So it's just, it's either over or under my head. I'm not sure. But, um, hey, I mean, they've built a powerhouse of a podcast. I mean. Absolutely. You know, and now it's in its credit to them that they got as far as they did. You know, with the ESPN thing and all that stuff. And that, you know, the ESPN looked at them as like, we want to be cooler than we are, right? We we, we right. think we do yeah. certain things well, but we want we want these guys, we want their audience, we want we want some of the cool facts from them. And you know, look, ESPN has tons of young people in the inside the house, you know, but they went out of the house to get them. So there right. you go. And they have Katie Nolan now, who I mean, that's another person. I don't get it really. You know what I mean? But she's a probably another great opportunity in house for them to have someone who brings a younger, cooler crowd probably, I would think. And it seems like this is something they've done forever, right? I mean, whether it's bringing Jim Roman or, you know, bringing uh, yeah. Bill Bill to do some stuff or whoever, you know. Um, it seems like it's something they've... I think we're at a point of TV where you should, given the way, you know, cord cutting is going and the way the network is different now, very different now than it was in, like, 1995 or something like that, that you should be experimenting a lot. And, you know, because it's, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to put these people on TV and see if it works, right? Right. We're going to give them a chance to create something really interesting because we think, you know, at this point in in the, in the march of history, it has to be really pretty freaking interesting if it's going to catch your attention on television. If you're actually going to watch it, not to mention watch it live, right? Not just be like, hey, I'll just see if it, surfaces, if it comes up on Twitter or not. If it doesn't, if I don't see highlights on Twitter, I don't care anyway. But so I would think the answer to that is to do. You've already, you know, they're already going to show tons of sports. They're going to have their studio shows, but you should just try to create other stuff because you don't. It's it's not obvious where hits are going to come from, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. never been with ESPN. If I told you that PTI would be this powerhouse, right? A decade later, that would be shocking. I think and we'd be like, really, Kornheiser and Wilbon show them just talking about sports is going to be this giant franchise, especially how much at the, is on sp- at the time people hated around the horn. You know, that was like the yes. most criticized I mean, show. Was, and it's lasted. Oh, it's like, oh, yeah. my gosh, we're dumbing down. All yep. these, we're dumbing things down. It's all about, you know, people are just associating with, like, the worst of television. Now it's celebrating, I think, it's, is it the 10th anniversary? It's the anniversary this yeah, today. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I, tell, I don't think it's it's clear. You know, and even stuff like Levitard and, you know, the way that show is, I don't think it's clear where hits are going to come from. So you just have to try lots and lots of different things. And the thing about ESPN is 
for all the criticism they had, they do have lots of interesting, talented people that are very, very different and have different kind of minds. You know, just want to find a spot for them. And I think what ESPN loved about the idea of that show was they knew that people would consume it in all different ways. Like, you know, so I think they were loving the idea that there'd be a big crowd watching that on Watch ESPN or whatever. You know, it would cut exactly. up it would cut exactly. up really good into YouTube clips and you know, I think they felt like it could spread out and even if it only did eighty thousand viewers live, that it would have a high D V R you know, those three days would be high for the D V R watching, whatever they call that. And it would a lot of people would watch it on demand and it would it would so but eh, whatever. Uh, the sports guests are here with Brian Curtis. We're going to finish up. One more thing I wanted to ask you about a couple of Ringer things. Uh, Ringer certainly hasn't pivoted to video, but you guys are, seems like, experimenting, <laughs> with, experimenting with it more. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah. The, um, you know, a lot of stuff with Tate and Lombardi. You know, six-ish minute, four to six minute stuff that fits good on Twitter or the YouTube page. Also, the, was it Kevin Clark? Is that his name or am I screwing that up? Uh, what's the yep. the guy who sits it. in the corner and reads the paper? That's Kevin Clark, right? That's, That's Kevin. Right. That's Kevin. Yeah, his show. Wednesday. Right, yeah. Tell me about the what's be, like the thoughts behind that and how you think it's working. Exactly, exactly what I told you about what my recommendation for you sure. was. Sure, right. Experimenting. Trying some other stuff, right. You know, and some mm-hmm. stuff that's for social, some of the stuff that's just like, here's a funny idea, let's do it. This guy named Jason Gallagher, who's, wonderfully talented also a Mavericks fan so he's okay with me <laughs> um but he uh you know does a lot of our social stuff like that he'll come up with a funny video idea and it's like it's all about experimentation you know and taking people it's almost again I, don't, I was not I was not intending to be to say this to say about the ESPN what I would say about the ringer but it's true it's like you're you're all these people we have in house we like them they're fun they're they're interesting they've got good ideas and let's just let's figure out a place for them you know and the Game of Thrones stuff being a really good example you know it's like how do we how do we find a way you know mallory and and jason everybody else put them on put them on the put them on give them some kind of vehicle and it's been really fun you know to me it's funny because i'm a very much a words first kind of guy mm-hmm. when you talk about you know me, when me and shoemaker are doing stuff like that it's like there's there's a great what i love about the ringer is it's certainly like this with just straight up written journalism but now it's like this with multimedia too it's like let's just try it you know Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Let's let's try things. And it's no big deal if it that. doesn't work, right? I mean, it's just like, oh, that one was. We'll no. try this one instead. It's like you kind of like taking the Absolutely. pressure out of it, right? It's like let's try Absolutely. this one, and, and if it doesn't work, there's another idea behind it. We'll just try the next one. Yeah, and it's funny because I think that's just the best way to do anything in journalism. You know, to have the freedom and to know that you know some things will be more successful than others. And it doesn't mean, by the way, you abandon the things that are quote unquote unsuccessful. You maybe you just fix it, you know, or you stick with it and find, you know let it find its way and find its voice. But yeah, to me, that's that's the happy place to me to work in, you know, where it's like you can just do that kind of stuff. Right, and it, it seems like it would create a great culture where there's just like it creates an opportunity for the talent to just feel like they can just try stuff, and it's not like their job is on the line every time they give an idea. <laughs> no, certainly not. Right. Uh, so you mentioned that you and Shoemaker. Let's. Let's hit that last. Well, and then I'll open up to you real quick. We'll finish on you. But what's kind? Of, what was kind of the the idea to do? What you guys is it called the press box. That's the name, right? Yeah. Tell me it's about funny, the press box. Because I've been wanting to. I've done a few episodes in different forms. I did some, you know, straight up reported ones. You remember at the beginning yeah. of the site, mm-hmm. and then and then I did some with it. Sure, basically, you're you know, 
podcast model of here, I'm going to interview, you know, some people about topics in the media, whatever, which is fun. Uh, totally, totally enjoy doing that. But I, I just really, David and I had always wanted to do something in podcast form together. And, you know, just cause we've been friends since we were 14 years old. And, you know, it's like, you always know, talk about building chemistry with somebody. It's like, well, we don't, I don't we, 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 we had that before we knew it was called chemistry and <laughs> we're just friends. And so, you know, we talked about doing various forms and he said, well, you know, you have this press box thing that you're not, haven't done a ton. Why don't we just do that and just start out with that and see where it goes. And so we've just been doing it and really fun. And again, talk about experimentation and just seeing what happens, you know, get, come up with three topics a week, define the word media very broadly. So it's not just like, here's something that happened in sports media, it's just like your stuff that's going on in the news or stuff that's kind of funny. We have a new episode coming out today. And, you know, and it's just like we talked about, like the Sports Illustrated's called shot on the Astros World Series. And yeah. some of the Harvey Weinstein fallout and also some of the um, <laughs> Papa John's guy taking on Roger Goodell. And, um, you know, just define it really broadly, have a fun conversation. And, and it's been great. Yeah, Ben Ryder was on this show the week that that magazine came out. So I listened to it last Notre night. Nostradamus. Yeah, I listened to it last night because I was curious what the heck we talked about. And, you know, and it was, it was, uh, it was cool. It was, he, he nailed it, I guess. He got, he got that one right, right? So I think a couple, this hasn't been <laughs> mentioned that much, but we talked about in the interview. A couple years before, Verducci had made, had written that similar column, and the headline was about the race, a very similar headline. I think it was like Rays 2013 really? champs or something. And it was a Verducci piece. <laughs> so obviously that didn't work out, but whatever anyway, because it worked out in the sense that the Rays were good. They might not have won at all, but they became the team that I think Verducci was yeah. projecting. You know, made some playoffs and made some runs. You know, that crazy day 162 team or whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that was, I think, the interesting part about it to me the most was how Nobody's really talking about the fact that it was that cover was almost a parody of Verducci's 2013 cover. I think, which is very, very funny. Yeah, and also just the you know Ben, who's done a ton of stuff in his career. Like this will be no matter what he does, this will be what he's known for. Right, he's the guy <laughs> who called the, the shot. shot right? Yep. Yeah, he'll write all those great magazine pieces, and it'll be like, "Oh, oh, are you the Astros guy?" Yeah, he's a yell guy. Okay. He's a yell guy. He's a great there's baseball w- writer. He really is good. I like him. There's worse things to be known for. Sure, it's just funny because I think this will follow him around. You know, I'll be like, "Yeah, you called it, man." Can you believe they're going bi-weekly? You know, it's just a long time SI guy. I'm just, it's just amazing to me because it's just. You know, it's just the how the world has changed so much. You know, I mean, just the idea that you wouldn't get SI every week is just mind blowing. I know. You know that that was like Thursday. Sometimes it would weirdly come on Wednesday. Sometimes it would come on Friday. But like that was that was a moment in the week. You know, like here's SI. They're setting the agenda. Either what just happened, or you know what's coming up. And I just felt like that was that was such a huge part of my childhood. Is going to the mailbox and finding that every week. I feel like we're just kind of slowly watching the death of SI. Well, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's death. I think it's probably the way to think about it. It's a death of a certain version of vision, it, a certain version. form of SI. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, yeah. But it's, but you know what? It's, it's probably not any different than any other magazine. I think right. Yeah. No, I'm not picking is, on them, singling them out. You know, that's yeah. just the one I read. Right. You know, but I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's also just funny. 
SI in a way it's a compliment, right? Because they were so dominant. You know, they were they were the the be all end all of sports writing for so long. You know, they were that was the temple. You know, that was where you wanted to get. And you know, the world is just so so different now, and they've got to kind of figure out like, what do we, you know, what do we want to be? What is our you know, we got Verducci, we got Lee Jenkins, we got all these guys, you know, and then what else do we do? You know, in the world of thing, do we do it? How much do we do online? How much is still in, in the print product? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I just, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I'm, it's hard for me to think of, I mean, maybe ESPN, I guess, but of some place where I learned more about sports and sports writing than I learned from SI. Sporting News was the other one for me, you know. I did. I subscribed too for a while. Yeah, loved it. it. Loved the newspaper. How it felt like a newspaper when it was that for so long. Um, so that was another one for me. Remember that weird gossip column in the front that was called The Fly? Yep. Remember that, dude? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Al, whoever it was. Yep. I used to be sort of obsessed with that. I got tricked. This is another thing. I got tricked by a parody uh, Rudy, uh, Rudy, what's his last name? The guy from USA Today? No, Rudy Marty. Yeah, I got tricked by a parody <laughs> Twitter account. Because... It's it said like Rudy is following you. You know, you get that email sometimes, uh, that, like randomly. Yeah. You don't get it for every follower, but once in a while you'll get one for some reason. You can't figure out how to turn them off or something, you know. And I got this email. I'm like, wow, really? I like every Monday in college or even high school, I'd go get my lunch. Can you oh. say today? I love reading that column because it's one of the few things talking about sports media. I enjoyed, you know, hearing his little, little cut-ups of people or what do you like what he didn't like so i i i i didn't catch it until after i had messaged the guy to say i really enjoyed it all those years and uh i figure all oh, this guy thinks i'm the biggest idiot and uh well you know the funny thing about that account which i believe also fooled me at the beginning when i when i first found out about it is that he tweets exactly like rudy marsky right totally like it's not even really it's barely a I wouldn't call it a parody. It's, a, it's like an homage, you know. And you're like, <laughs> I'm just fascinated to know who is who is doing the Rudy Marsky homage. <laughs> it's like, whoa. He said, "Oh, I broke this is what." So I wrote to him. I said, "You know, thanks for the file. I was a huge fan." And he wrote, "Oh, I broke several stories just this week. Canal, Miles to Fox, in early August, etc. I'm retired. Keeps people guessing without being bothered all the time." So he's 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 playing the gimmick till the end. He he kayfabe me there. He was not admitting, even though his name is <laughs> at fake. He kayfabe it and is like, "Oh, wow. I'm just pretending to be a fake." Like you want to, but I didn't take the bait wow. beyond that. I was just like, "That's amazing." Yeah. So I was an idiot. Uh, Brian Curtis. Pretty much. <laughs> Brian Curtis writes for TheRinger.com, the Press Box podcast with David Shoemaker. Uh, Brian Curtis on Twitter. What else? Anything else, bud? That's it, man. That's 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 all the products that are uh, that are for sale right now. <laughs> do, do you have any? Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> when are we? When it? When is? Uh, when do I get to come on after a Texas victory over over OU? That's my question. Uh, you can come on anytime after the, they have to beat OU, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was gonna say let's let's not make that the next time because we know we know how long that'll take. So I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to you before that. I'm sure. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Let's do it again soon. All right, I want to thank Brian Curtis from The Ringer for joining me today. I always love having Brian on. Great guy. 
back from the days of Grantland, where we first met him, and now on to Ringer. We always appreciate uh, when Brian is on the show. Uh, quick book club update. I went through a lot on the last episode about the books that we tried to get, the books we couldn't get, authors who blew us off, uh, but Jack McCollum, the author of the book club book of the year, Dream Team, uh, has a new book coming out on the Golden State Warriors and uh, their dominance. And uh, Jack's book is the uh, book club book of the month uh, for this month. And I'm really looking forward to it. For one, because uh, Mr. McCollum gets to be on the show again. And I always love uh, having him on. He's one of the uh, one of the best basketball writers of all time. And when we were talking about SI going down to bi-weekly, I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about him and uh, Jack McCollum and Frank DeFord and all the amazing writers uh, that they've had and how different it, their careers would have been if they worked at SI now. But uh, the book club book of the month, Golden Days, West Lakers, Steph Warriors, and the California Dreamers who reinvented basketball. Um, so we're looking forward to uh, to reading that. It is available now in ebook formats and, of course, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, and we'll talk to Mr. McCollum in a few weeks. In the meantime, uh, we're going to go now uh, to an interview uh, that I did with uh, Mike Shope uh, from the local uh, radio station here in Buffalo. Uh, Mike was really kind uh, to give me some time last week. And, of course, uh, the disclaimer is just that that was recorded before the Calvin Benjamin trade and before the Bills lost last night to the Jets. Uh, so let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Mike Shope. Our next guest is from right down the street in Grand Island, New York, and does local sports talk radio on WGR 550 Monday through Friday from 3 to 7, where he talks Bills, Sabres, and whatever else in the world of sports. He's joined us a couple times before, and we bring him into the Baylor Fight Song in honor of his wife's alma mater. The warm sportscasters welcome to Mike Shope. All right, thanks again for, uh, for coming back, Mike. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. I, you know, I was just uh, searching some video or looking at some videos, waiting to call you, and I noticed as we record, it is the anniversary. I mean, it's it's World Series time, so the anniversary of a lot of World Series, but it's the anniversary of the Buckner play. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about? Uh, I'm just curious where you were. Why, that's like one of my first World Series memories. But um, what do you remember about that play mm-hmm. and that and that day and that game? A lot. I loved the Mets. I I was a Cincinnati fan as a little kid. My mom is from near Cincinnati. But when the Met game started to show up in about 83 or 84, that's when I noticed them at least on uh, Channel 9 in the Buffalo area, they would come in. So I sort of got with them then, and they were it was just the right time to start liking them. All the young stars were right. arriving. So how I remember Game 6 is a couple of, for a couple of things. One is that the next day, there was a band concert. I was in the school band, and it was a Halloween-themed concert, of course. So uh, we had to wear costumes, and my costume was a Met uniform. So I was watching the sixth game, assuming that I was going to be wearing the tenth inning, the top of the tenth at least, assuming I was going to be wearing the losing 
World Series team uniform. Like, you know, in school, you have kids who are fans that wear jerseys, but probably usually not the day after excruciating losses. Right. And <laughs> right. That, that's what I was that's what I was thinking about, uh, you know, late in that game. I also remember my father uh, being asleep on his chair as that was all happening, which was not surprising. I mean, he he's not a sports fan, and he um, didn't care about it at all. It, it was only notable because he was there. Like, he wasn't asleep right. or out or at work or whatever. <laughs> but, like, I, I remember the, the Buckner play. It was just he and I in the room, and he was asleep. Yeah, that happened to me for the Dave Hannon goal. It was just me and my dad in the room, but I was the one asleep, and he woke me up by cranking the uh, <laughs> cranking the horn. <laughs> so that yeah, nice. It it would have been an even better story if you're like, and then in 2011, my son was in the band, and he was going to dress up as a Rangers fan the next day. <laughs> like, yeah. Not yeah, that that day might be coming, but we're not there yet. Right, like isn't that crazy that that happened twice? Right, like you know, you like oh, that's such a bad beat. You're never gonna see a bad beat like that again. And then it happened again, <laughs> anyway, to the Rangers. Right, it was, it was 2000. That was 2011, right? Or did I just spit out a year? Something like that. I, I think, I, I think so. I think that's the right year. I was not watching that. Um, that was like, I, I guess I'm still in this sort of phase, but if. Oh, I don't have a team in it. I'm not necessarily watching it. And even with the World Series being down, that was Game Six, right, David Freeze? Yeah, Dave, yeah, um, Game Six. They had two strikes twice, I think. Final strike twice. Right. Yeah. Right. Being being right down to the end like that, I was on a, I was on my computer and I had the little GameCast up, but I was really not interested in like the outcome. Do you have some other favorite World Series moments? Just before we move off of this. Uh, yes. Yes, 1988. Now, I was still a very big Mets fan in 88, and they lost to uh, L.A. Right. I was at the Sabres the, game during that game seven. The, okay. Yeah, I was at a Sabres yeah. game during the game seven, Mets and Dodgers, and there was such a buzz in the arena every time they'd show the score. I'm going to say it was like 6 nothing or something. Maybe it was the final or it was that at some point. Or whatever. I just remember when they flashed I the score. I think that's right. Yeah, when they flashed the score, it was like a – Oh, in the arena, like, oh, my God, kind of a thing. Because yeah. you couldn't follow it on your right. phone, obviously. Yeah, I, in 88. I, right. Yeah. It was not a close game. It was no. Franchiser. Yeah. Uh, what, what I remember about the 88 series, like everybody remembers game one, the Gibson homer, and that was a Saturday night, and I was an intern at Channel 2. I was a high school student, and it's my senior year of high school, and I had an internship in the sports department at Channel 2. So... Um, that home run happened. The game was on Channel 2, so the news was going to wait until the game was over. And I was there that night, and I thought, that's just like the natural. And so that we were able, I don't know if I really did anything, but we were able to put the natural music behind the Gibson home run when they ran the highlight on the sportscast. Awesome. And my father, I didn't drive at night then, so my dad picked me up at midnight or whatever time it ended up being. And um, he met the guys I worked with maybe for the first time that night, and you know he was introduced to that. And then the, the next night was game two, and NBC did the same thing, and it's open. NBC had the, the natural music behind uh, the Gibson home run. And my father has always given me credit for that, which, <laughs> you know, come on. like the, the, Everybody might have thought of that. 
But he, he's always thought that that was my idea first. And so when NBC did it, he's like, oh, your idea made it to, you know, the national level, something like that. And then even last Saturday, boy, was, did this happen? Last Saturday I went to the natural screening at North Park Theater. Right, yeah, right, yeah, that was last week. Levinson. I read about that. Very cool, yeah. Yep, that was great. Barry Levinson was here, and there was a Q&A about the movie with Ben Mankiewicz, and they showed... Uh, and they showed the movie, and I think it was also referenced how somewhere, I don't, I don't remember right now, but I remember thinking that that night that reference came up again, that like the Gibson home run with the Dodgers being in the World Series again, um, like the, the, the tie-in with the natural that had just, it was about four years old at that point. So um, I, remember, I remember a lot of World Series from the 80s really well, but that one is memorable for that reason. Is... Uh... Is the Mets-Red Sox your favorite World Series ever then, 86? Or did, is there the one that passed it at some point or beforehand? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, by by the, you know, the, the Blue Jays, I liked the Blue Jays, but they were just such a store-bought team. It, it was a team of all-stars, and I did not really feel that. And then um, by the Yankee years, like the Yankees beat the Mets in 2000, and I was disappointed, but it was it's never been quite as... Um, Intense. Actually, when the Giants beat Kansas City, um, I so, guess three years ago. Yeah, I was going to say fourteen because they were that, the even team, right? They were the even team, so it was their most recent. Right, right, yeah, right. I have, I have won, I've won money on the Giants a couple times, and when they beat uh, Texas, I had that and was happy about that. And when they beat Kansas City, I had a bet on Bumgarner to be the World Series MVP. So the seventh game of the World Series was all about. Because he was already great in that series, and right. the question was, would he would he pitch in relief? And I was thinking, like, if the Royals beat him, could he still be the MVP? That that was what was in my head that night. So as I've gotten older, it's more just about like my gambling interests or fantasy or whatever. I don't bet on a lot of things, but just like for a playoff season or for a, a win total, things like that. That, that interests me. And you also had money that the guy presenting the MVP trophy would be an overweight, nervous, sweaty guy. From <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had uh, some, some money on Chappy Guy, but I didn't. Uh, that, that 2001 World Series was pretty great, too. Like I, There were some blowouts in it, but I remember thinking when – I think Tino Martinez was the one who hit the first unbelievable home run. I think Brocious was second the next night. But I remember when uh, Martinez hit that home run, that was kind of like a Gibson-type moment. Just like, because they were about to go down 3-1. There's two outs in the ninth. You know, and Martinez tied it. That's pretty pretty unreal. I just like, you could barely even see. Yankee Stadium was clearly shaking and stuff. And then for it to happen the next night, too. It's kind of crazy. That's a that that was a, right. that was a that was a fun one. And then Indians Mounds ninety seven one is un- underrated too. I think. Yep, and I loved O two for the Angels because we had money on the Angels that yep. year. So that was like cool. And I remember giving up on it. I remember thinking, in, was that Game Six or Game Seven? I think Game Six. Yeah, they that, came back um, with the rally monkey. Lose, they were yeah, down. yeah, they came back with the rally monkey. Right, like five nothing or something. Did uh do you have the Astros just to make the series or did you have them now do they need to win it? So you had something brewing with the Astros, right? I have them to win it from before the season. Okay. So what'd you get that at? Twelve to one. Twelve to one. Okay. That's nice. That's a real nice value bet there. I, I heard for sure. Yeah. I heard that there was somebody I was listening to on the radio has fifteen, but 
you know, 12 is good. Right. Yeah, Ben Ryder should have placed his bet when he wrote that cover story for SI in 2014. I wonder what he could have got him at. <laughs> ben Ryder, was, he was on yeah, this right. very, very program that week. I, I read that story and said I should get him on, and we talked about it. So that was a good good call by him. Uh, cool. I, I wanted to ask you about what – I know that it's not been that long since the Bills are 4-2, and two, right? They were 4-2 last year. Even though I forgot that, uh-huh. I totally forgot that. I, you know, I'm not that big of a Bills fan, but I was, my mother-in-law is, and I was telling her like, "Oh, it must be feel great to be four and two again." And she's like, "Oh, we we're four and two last year." Like, oh, okay, but I was wondering for you because I was listening to the show when we were driving around doing stuff on Monday. I was wondering for you, like, how much better is work on a Monday? If the Bills are four and two versus two and four. Does it not matter at all? It's um. What I usually say is that it isn't a, it isn't really better. Um, it's more fun to be a fan, but if I'm really just talking about the show or my my work, it isn't it isn't better. What, what the the least interesting scenario is when they win and it's meaningless, because then you're just you know maybe you're arguing with people who think you should give it more credit. I mean we've had those wins really every year since uh, since the drought. So th- those are the worst. If, if the wins have meaning like these have, then that's pretty good. I mean, I end up, what, what is good about it, what is better about it is I hear from new voices. I, I don't recognize as many callers' voices. If they're losing, it's the same people usually. Right. Like I just know who's calling and it's just kind of repetitive. But losing is more interesting. Losing is more... The, the draft is is a topic, uh, free agency is a topic, uh, and so on. And when your team is winning, those are not topics. It's just you know, wasn't that great? Yeah, that was great. So I think I think it's way more interesting to talk about a losing team, or at least somewhat more interesting. And that's why I I hesitate to say that it's better when they win, work wise. Right. My brothers and I are going to the Saints and Bills game. It's my thirtieth year as a Saints fan, and I. In our group text the other day, I said, "Well, which one of our teams is going to screw up the six and two, six and two battle here in a couple of weeks?" And we had a thirty-minute argument over why each of us thought it was going to be our team. You know, like the classic, like just uh, fan pessimism. And uh, I had to concede yep. when you know one of them said, "We haven't made the playoffs in sixteen years. You won the Super Bowl in two thousand nine." I, I was trumped a little bit there, but um, when do you think the what has to happen, do you think, for people to truly believe in this team? Because I still didn't get that sense listening to the calls. I felt like people were like, okay, this is cool because it's better than we thought. But I still didn't get – there was still calls about like, well, how are we going to replace Tyrod Taylor now next year? Because obviously mm-hmm. we're not getting Sam Darnold or whoever. You know, like – so it's, I still felt the pessimism. Do you get – is there a tipping point in a season where you think it turns to – to, to real optimism, and, and there's a, a tone change beyond that? Probably. I'm not sure I would be able to answer that. I mean, of course, in the first place, it's going to be different for everyone, but I I don't know. I mean, I can speak for myself. I, I, I think it maybe starts with what your idea of success is. Right. And the way that the playoff drought has evolved, like that has, for one reason or another, become the thing that's the mountain in front of them is to just make it 
So if you're right, and maybe most fans wouldn't tell you that that is their idea of success, but I do think it's the rep, it, it represents that. So if the if success is just making it, I don't think it'll be too long before people start to think they can do that. I mean, I think that we're already having those conversations, even though it's not half over. But if your your idea of success is winning the Super Bowl or something closer to that, then I mean, you have to be better than New England. Maybe it's when they if they beat New England that people would believe. And if, if they do that, there's not going to be much. If they're still in contention and they beat New England, whatever that is, December 3rd or whatever that date is, then, um, I mean, you're going to have to, we're going to have to give them some credit. Yeah. I, I think that they've already hit a few benchmarks, right, for the season. Like, I think they've already gotten to the point maybe where people are starting to believe in, in the staff and its direction. But that's one you could lose still. You know, it's like a temporary check. Like right now, they probably have the check. But if they went 4-12 and 12 and there was all this infighting, you can you cross that one off quick. But like for right now, it feels like they're on the plus side of that one. And um, I think that sometimes people want it to be better than they thought. Like they want to the expect- just be better than I thought you were going to be. Like because we go in, fans in general, like we go in with a certain expectation for what the season. Like the Sabres are very clearly – underwhelming us right now right it's not nearly what I, I don't think many people thought they would start one and seven or whatever they started before that miracle on boston well miracles maybe overstating it but you know i think maybe there's little benchmarks along the way that they're checking off but um yeah it'll be interesting to see because i think if they have another willie parker game or something you know to end the season i don't i think that there's not that's not going to leave very many satisfied fans i don't think but. yeah that i mean that, that's happened in different ways i mean even in the last three years they've been close enough to get to december and have it be they've been alive so um the 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 moral of those seasons is that it doesn't there's no reward for a season like that winning winning half your games doesn't you know, mean anything. It, it, it doesn't mean anything, and so um, that that very well could be what this season is too. Like, there's to me, there's been nothing convincing that it's more than that. I, I do like that the, the AFC doesn't seem to have a lot of good teams, but the teams that are clearly better than they are. But you, you have to make it, or else it's kind of a wasted year. Are the Bills doing the Sabers a favor? Like, are we ignoring the frustrations there a little bit? In general, as a city, do you get the feel from the calls? Are the Bills shielding them a little bit from maybe more anger that would exist? Yeah, for just how... I mean, probably. Probably. Probably, yeah. Um, the Bills would, if you're talking about, like you asked about going in on Monday, if the Bills are not good, then it isn't maybe Monday, but it's pretty soon that we're just going to the Sabres if they're good. Like, it's just, you're just going to move move along. Right. And um, with the Bills being 4-2, and two, it's really all about them this week. Well, because I was thinking about this the other day, that, you know, you get, they had a really low announced attendance. I think the announced attendance last night was 16,000 or something like that, uh, which is, mm-hmm. you know, is really low for them to announce that. Tickets, you know, were $10 on StubHub already. Um, the the Maple Leafs have lapped them so many times. They're in, I think they're in different levels. Like, the Maple Leafs are suddenly in NASCAR, and we're in the Bush series or whatever. Uh, and 
Also, we're finding out that maybe it would be more successful rebuild to just start a new team, right? Like the the Vegas, I don't think is helping with their seven and one record because I'm sure there's Sabres fans sitting there like, well, maybe if we would have just canceled the team and then started a new one, that would have been better. Um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's just a that they're reaching a tipping point they haven't had under this ownership just yet. Like they're getting to a dangerous spot. Agree, disagree? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it, it's not going well. Um, dangerous, I guess, if you're talking about tickets and attendance, as you, as you started, then, um, as I, I wrote about last week, I mean, I think there this is a really uh, interesting time for that. And I think that that is for all teams, or for most teams. Because however many years ago, 10 years ago, when the Sabres were really good and they had just come out of the canceled season, the league had, right. and they slashed prices. And so season tickets were such a great deal. And it was the best time those, those nights, because even when they had a bad game, it was still a contending team and it wasn't too expensive, at least, you know, in my opinion. And now games aren't, it's not possible for, for most games, for any game almost to, uh, to meet, the the price of the ticket like if you if you bought season ticket if you bought the, the the association is a season ticket holder is the team's most loyal fan right which is not exactly right but that's kind of the idea that you're the you're the best fan and so i go in there last night with two tickets that i spent 180 dollars on and i mean i couldn't have cared less about the game it was so boring <laughs> and like, there's just almost no, there's almost no way the game is going to be $180 worth plus, you know, food and drink or parking or whatever, those other things. So what, what is coming? I don't know. Like right now it's so easy and, and trusted to buy tickets on StubHub. Why wouldn't everybody just do that? Right. Well, yeah, I guess what's coming, like you wrote about it, I think very smartly because I was also a season ticket holder, started around the same time you did, but I got out after the Reinhardt season, the season that resulted in Reinhardt, because I knew that how bad it was going to be, and I was, I guess, quote unquote, for the tank, but I wasn't going to pay for it. And and plus it had just gotten to a point where my tickets didn't have any value, right? Like, I, you, our, like on a night like last night, I was either going to have to essentially give them away um, or go or just, you know, eat it. Like, there's just no value. You couldn't even get face value of what you paid. You know, the, the season ticket, it just there was no value for the tickets. So I ended up walking away, and I think, like you pointed out in the article, that they're going to maybe face an even bigger wave of that. I mean, there was a time not too long ago where they, they, had, a, they had a huge waiting list. Like, people were paying $120 or whatever to get on a waiting list for the right to buy tickets. And I think they're going to be going door to door in a season or two. They've just been raising these tickets and raising these tickets a few bucks here, a few bucks here, a few bucks here. They're, they, you know, I guess drilling an oil well didn't pan out or whatever. They keep raising them and nothing has coming. But the, the general value of them just keeps getting lower and lower. So I thought it was a very smart column, yep. I guess. I didn't need to bring you on to tell you that. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you in that, in that sense that, that there's some trouble there. Uh, the sports kids are here. We're talking with my, yeah, go ahead. You want to say something? No, I was just going to say, I think the Sabres know all that. You know, I, I, I talked to a guy last night from the team and I mean, they don't like it. <laughs> they, they don't like reading me usually. 
Um, and I often won't even hear from them. But like in this case, somebody came up to me and said, we know. Like it's You're right and we know. You were saying something really interesting on the radio I heard. Oh, I think I turned in. I wanted to hear if Bulldog had any thoughts on Gordowney. And you were talking about how in the past the Sabres like the Sabres traded for Danny Briere and they just like called you like, Hey, you want this guy and and he would be on and you'd do like get an hour with them and how they were just like really cool to deal with. So I think you were talking about this column and kind of like why you wanted to get Sabres tickets to begin with. And um I want I mean how are they to deal with now? Like how is the one Buffalo Sabres to deal with compared to, you know, teams of the past? Because maybe you got into it that day and I didn't hear it. But, I mean, it just seems like they were, like you said, the darlings of the city to some degree. And now they're becoming more and more the Bills, a team that disappoints us on and off the field to some degree as a city. I don't know if I've seen yeah, that I coming. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that coming. Uh, no, I, I – a part of me was disappointed when Terry Pagula bought the Bills because of that. I felt like even when he owned the Sabres, it was still hockey. So it was it was not the NFL. But a part of me was like, oh, I like that they were separate. I like that they you know, weren't always friendly. Russ Brandon would mock the Sabres to me. And now he's the president of the Sabres. Like, I didn't need that. I mean, I, I, I thought the Sabres kind of had a charm that's gone. Um, as far as, like, dealing with them, I don't, I'm not really the best guy to ask. I mean, I, I had this conversation last night, and once in a while I hear from people I know in the organization all the way up. But it's not, um, it's not like a day-to-day thing like a reporter would have. And likewise, with the Bills, it's, it's not, I don't interact with them all that often. So, um, you know, a long time ago, I was in the locker room um, at least once in a while, and now I almost am never in the locker room. So I don't really have that much interaction. Uh, That's interesting, but, you know, with them, I just, I feel like they, they have the QB, right? Like their, their version, like the, the Bills, what they're lacking is that, that superstar QB maybe, and the, the Sabres have that maybe in Eichel. Um, but the Bills maybe are a better overall team somehow. Like the supporting pieces, it's like an almost an opposite problem. Um, but mediocre regardless, maybe even worse than mediocre. I don't know. And I just think the Toronto thing is just going to be so frustrating for fans here. You know, like when they come here yeah. in a few weeks and there's 13,000 Leaf fans there or whatever and they're beating us 6-1 to one, hypothetically, I just feel like that could be a real low moment. Uh, do you have time for one more? Or are you uh, bouncing out? Yeah, I can do. I can. I got about five more minutes. All right. I wanted to ask you a, a kind of a nerdy radio thing because I know you get into that with me when you come on. Uh, so I started this show in like 2011, and when I did, and I would reach out for guests. Sometimes I didn't even know what podcasts were at all. Uh, but now everyone has a podcast. Uh, the podcasts have gotten you know big. The, the, I guess they've changed. The way the way people accept them, understand them, and listen to them has gotten easier and has changed over the years. And I I wonder how it's changed uh, radio on on terrestrial radio. Like, have you seen any change in your job as the interest and the respect and the availability of podcasts has increased? How has that changed what you do, if at all? Maybe it's maybe it hasn't, but 
I'm curious what your thoughts have been um, from your chair as, as you looked out. Um, I think it's pretty amazing that we're still going. <laughs> I mean, it's such an old medium, relatively speaking, and it's just amazing to me that it's like still popular, and really the station might be as popular as ever right now. So I think that that's really great. I'm very proud of that, especially considering how the times change and the technology changes. Um, I don't really notice, you know, differences um, at work. I mean, I know what the world is. I know, I know that there are just way more options that people can turn to, and I think that's great. Um, and, you know, sometimes I might think, like, is there really a future or just for, for me or for this or anything like that? But I also would have thought that way when I started <laughs> because I just think I just think it's incredible, again, that AM radio is still popular and powerful, and it, it really is. Right. Um, I, li- I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love having those choices myself. Um, so, and there's just so much talent, and, and, and corporations... This was something I experienced when I was at at the newspaper in Rochester. They just, you know, newspapers, television, radio, just cutting all the time, cutting uh, staff all the time. And so there, there are so many talented people that aren't in the building. And so I love having, you know, a chance to dabble like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as just, just the job, though, I, I don't think it's it's that uh, prominent. It's not prominent in my head, really. I have I have a few friends from Grand Island that are scattered around the country, and they and I have talked about starting a podcast. And I mentioned that to work once, and like, okay, <laughs> so it, it uh, there, there was no resistance from my employer about that. Although we haven't done it. Why do you think that? Like, why do we still have those updates that they give? On, on the radio. Well, there are there are uh, fewer than there had been. Um, Thank God, right? I mean, they I used to know. be every twenty I, minutes. I, I, <laughs> right. Does that kill your flow yeah, no, a little they have bit? Us doing that. Yeah, doesn't that kind of kill your flow? Like, wouldn't you rather like, like when Howard Stern blew up? Right? He's like, all right, I'm not playing records anymore. I'm not doing this. I'm, they kind of took over his time slot. Like sometimes you kind of feel like, all right, how many minutes do we need for commercials? And then let's just the rest of the hour. Let us just do our thing like why are we stopping to tell people 16 times a show that you know clayton kershaw starting game one of the world series tonight everyone knows that in 2017 yeah i I think that's right um i don't don't have like uh like a a a certain answer for you uh to speak for anybody or to know even like what the industry uh is doing in this way now but what you say makes sense um it's two times an hour and maybe for two minutes there's a sponsorship associated with it that's one reason for doing it right that you could put somewhere else but you know don't need to with you with my because you have the update and in the four o'clock and five o'clock hours we read them so it's you know those updates are more for me almost just like the show when there's music behind it so not not counting those, we don't do an update at three thirty or six thirty, either. Right, so they are so fading away. Three, They're kind four, of fading five, away. Six. Yeah. Yep. 
it's three, four, five, and six, and then we do one at four thirty and five thirty. That's almost not even re- like like a real update. Just you know, the Bills roster move, the Saber schedule. It's almost it. Right. Well, we have hit that time, and uh, I hear you so much that I feel like I reach out less than I should because I I've, I've always in my head that well I just heard Mike. You know what I mean? Like you're you're across. Yeah, I hear you on the radio all the time. I. I think to reach out maybe less than I should, or maybe you're thinking like, no, you should reach out less, uh, and I would understand that as well. But uh, <laughs> thank you for no. thank you for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it, and good luck with that twelve to one Astros, right? I mean, good luck. I don't know, you're hedging. Did you hedge on the Dodgers at all, or you just riding it out? No, but I I would have had the Dodgers been underdogs, right? Yeah, uh, that... I, I was hoping for that. I was, but they were minus one sixty, and so I really had no move. Um, but I, when the Astros were down to the Yankees three two, they were two to one to win the series, and I bet that basically doubling down on them. And so, very nice. You know, if I lose right. this, then I, then I will. It was still a, it was still a great year. I, I don't unless the Astros get ahead in the series. I think I'm 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 beat. I mean, I I, I could see myself making a bet if they get ahead, which they could. Right. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. I want to thank Mike Shope and Brian Curtis for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me anytime, the sportscasters at gmail.com. The Lonely End of the Ring Hockey Podcast with Adrian Dater is back. It's also SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash LonelyRinkPod, or on Twitter, at LonelyRinkPod. And don't forget, I'm also producing and kind of co-hosting a new music podcast called Motivation Through Music. It's also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash M3MPod, and also on Twitter at M3MPod as well. Uh, So, really excited about... Uh, the podcast again it's sportscasters on apple itunes podcasts and spotify and all that the lonely end of the rink and the motivation through music podcast and uh all those have new episodes this week uh real quick one last thing so it was halloween the other day and uh my daughter paula is now uh almost one and a half years old so it's her second halloween uh, last year, she was the most adorable Minnie Mouse on the planet. And last year, her and my nephew, who is one year older almost almost to the day. I guess he's actually 13 months older. Uh, but he was born in May. She was born in June, uh, one year apart. So he and her have started a tradition of trick-or-treating together. And it's really cool. Uh, it's one of the first kind of family traditions uh, with this generation of the family, with Paula and Gregory a part of it. And last night was extra special because Anthony was there, who, you know, obviously he's living in Buffalo now. Last year he was in New York. 
so he wasn't there last year. But it was just a really fun night, despite it being freezing. Uh, but Paula dressed as an elephant. Paula, can you tell everyone what an elephant does? What does an elephant do? Can you tell Dada what an elephant does? She's just nodding. Uh, so Paula was an elephant. My nephew Gregory was a Thomas the Train. And uh, my mom was there. Yeah, there's the elephant sounds. Is that an elephant? Yeah. My mom was there. My dad was there. Obviously, my wife was there. My brother. Both my brothers. My sister-in-law. And it was just great. It's just a great, it's a great family tradition. We had a lot of fun. And we're kind of looking forward to establishing our own Thanksgiving and Christmas traditions with this new generation. It's kind of cool because it seems like every generation there's a new set of traditions. Like the things that I did with my family on Christmas when I was one are completely different than what we're going to do with our family now that Paul is one. And uh, for whatever reason, this Halloween maybe with my original family kind of being complete and everyone being there, it felt like the beginning of it. And plus, Paula last Halloween was not even half a year, so she was just kind of in it for the for the sights and the sounds. Oh, Paula's watching Pavel Bure goals on the iPad. Was that a goal? Breakaway goal in the 94 final, Bure on Richter. Of course, Bure got the best of them. Goal. Do you want to one more time tell everyone what the elephant sounds like? Thanks again to uh, Mike Shope and Brian Curtis. Uh, Happy Halloween. Watch out for the cold November rain. Be careful with your candles because it's hard to hold them.